one of the reasons I'm doing what I did today is I realized if I had died at 21, all that I had accumulated in my 21 years was I got okay grades in school and I was a pretty good athlete, but that I had done nothing of actual significance that really matters and that I hadn't played big at all. And so, you know, you hear it a thousand times, but it never really resonates. So maybe this off the back of my story will resonate that you never know how much time you have. Every day is precious. And in business, but in your personal life, you should play all out. I think everybody's like one idea or one relationship or one decision away from having their dream life too. And it's not instant. You don't make a decision on Monday and your dream life's on Tuesday. You make a decision to pursue it. Hey, it's Emily here. You know that uniqueness you have? I call it the it factor. We all have it, but some of us either really need to identify it or start to empower it. This show is all about giving you the lessons, tools, and principles I've learned after building a nine-figure sales organization, training leaders around the globe, and working alongside of some of the most influential people in this world. So now it's time to de-plug from your outside world and plug in to your new world here. Let's dive in. Have you ever heard the term make money matter? Well, I am here with a man right now who is a leading businessman. He is a multimillionaire. He's a father. He's a husband. And he is changing the space in personal development. I came across Cole Hatter when so many people in the personal development industry are talking about different ways to make their money matter thanks to this man. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm so excited to hear your story, dive in. I mean, oh my goodness, you have crushed it. In thanks. the business world, I feel truly like you're living life with the utmost intention. Has it always been that way? No, but you know, as you were saying that, I was receiving that because that is something I've been working hard on. Um, intention, focus, purpose behind everything I do from the things that I say yes to, like being a part of your podcast. And uh, it's good feedback to hear that it's at least coming across that way because it's something yes. I am working towards. So thank you for that feedback. Absolutely. It is. It truly is. I really feel like your message. And like I said, I came across you because he runs one of the most successful events uh, about once a year, right? Yep. The Thrive event. Yeah. And so many big names in the industry have gone, but I feel like you're really changing the way people do business. And that's so cool. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm sure we'll dive deep into that, but um, I didn't invent it. I coined the phrase make money matter, okay. but this is an organic movement that's already happening, which tells me that business owners are thirsty for making more than money. They want to make money, of course, unapologetically but have their money matter. And so as I observed the various businesses, like Tom's Shoes was one of the first to yeah. have a business that didn't just make money, but had purpose. And really evaluating some of the, the forefathers, the founders of this movement, um, I'm the one that's kind of championing the message and hitting the drums the hardest and throwing an actual event around trying to, to get the idea and the concept into, into the heads of more entrepreneurs of how to not just make money, but make it matter by running for purpose businesses. That's so cool. Yeah. So you talk about Tom's as an example. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like someone would see those shoes and it's like someone like me, I'm a millennial, more driven by contribution. Mm -hmm. I'm more apt to buy something if I know a little bit of it is going to go to a good cause. Is yeah. that 
kind of the idea behind Make Money Matter? Totally. And so there's there's actual a lot of data of consumer studies that says that our generation, the millennials, and then whoever comes after us, Gen X or Z or X, Y, yeah. whatever, <laughs> all the younger kids are even more so than us want yeah. to have that, that purpose uh, attached to their consumerism. It's almost like philanthropic consumerism. Um, but so, yeah, there's there's a bunch of different examples of businesses out there that are doing it. Again, I always use Tom's shoes because they're probably the most popular. But when right. when Tom's was founded, for every pair of shoes they sold, they gave a pair away. And some people misconstrue what I'm talking about as just running a regular business, making a ton of money. And when you're in the financial position to do so, write a check to charity, right. which is great. And if, and if people are out there doing that, by all means, right. be as generous as you can afford to be. But this is a little bit different. This is in your business model as it's operating, it's giving back. You don't have to wait until you make money and can afford to contribute to charity. Tom's Shoes, the very first pair they sold, they gave a free pair away to a child in some third world country that was barefoot, right? The second pair, the 50th pair, the 5,000th pair, every pair of shoes they sold. And so literally, the more successful Tom's Shoes became, the more impact they were making. Now, Blake Mikowski, the founder, He's, last I heard, worth $350 million. Uh, so this is a very profitable business. Right. He's crushing it. But and, and what he does with his $350 million is his business, if right. he's generous or not and charitable, which I assume that he is based on his company. But Tom's Shoes, the organization, before it pays Blake, the founder, gives a pair of shoes away. And they actually had to change their model because they were saturating markets with too many free shoes as their popularity grew, which is another cool problem. Can you imagine that your your concept is so philanthropic and so impactful that you're actually disrupting local economies because you're wow. giving so many free shoes away. The shoe vendors were That's going awesome. out of business. Yeah, so they've had to change their model a little bit. But but the concept of a for-purpose business is running a company that in its business plan and in its business model, someone somewhere is winning. And then all the rest of the profits, again, you unapologetically have because every dollar you've earned came from someone somewhere winning as well. It's so awesome. Yeah. And and again, I didn't invent this. Tom's Shoes was the one that really inspired me um, as I was trying to figure out how to fund an orphanage down in Mexico and trying to figure my own life out. Uh, I saw Tom's Shoes early on, like 2009, when they were getting so much free PR, which as, as somebody who's doing what you're doing, you know, PR is not cheap. And yeah. to be a, a unique business model that people are compelled to talk about only expands your market share and right. it gives you more and more ears. I always say that attention is the most valuable form of currency on earth. And I have yet to be proven wrong in that, right. that, that, that attention itself is the most valuable form of currency. And for the businesses that adapted this for-purpose model, they get free attention. I mean, I'm sitting here talking about Tom's shoes. He's not going to send me a check. <laughs> and I've become like a full-blown evangelist for their brand right. because of how they give back. And so, you know, it, back to what you were just talking about, there are countless consumer reports that show that our generation and younger almost not even have a, a desire, but an expectation mm-hmm. that businesses give back to some degree. Yeah. And this stuffy corporate, just make money for shareholders vibe is passe and is becoming a thing of the past. Totally. And this starting a business that makes you money, but makes an impact and makes a difference simultaneously is, is going to become the standard. And it is my goal to get as many businesses to convert to for purpose and to get as many new businesses to just start for purpose so that in every product category, every service, every type of business on earth, there's at least one or two people that are a for-purpose player mm. so that you can buy your outfits, get your hair and makeup done, go grocery shopping, get your car fixed, you name it. There's a for-purpose vendor that will provide the product or service you need so that you know someone somewhere is winning. And 
because Thrive has been around for six years, I've had tens of thousands of people come through and I have thousands of businesses that have converted to for purpose and millions of people that have been impacted because of it. And so I know that, you know, proof of concept is there. Yeah. Now we're taking it to phase 2.0 and really making a standard for businesses to strive for where we're going to actually give them the make money matter designation, almost like a better business bureau uh -huh. where once you know, I'm not going to go through financial audits, but once I get a, an idea of the concept of their for purpose model, if it is truly giving back and I can see that it is demonstrated that it is, mm -hmm. what we're going to start doing is actually branding other businesses as make money matter certified so that anybody in the world who would be interested in doing business with them can know, ah, this business in some capacity is giving back to someone. So I can go buy, you know, a pairs of a pair of Nikes and no one's going to win, or right. I can buy a pair of Toms and someone wins, right? Same thing in, in any business that's out there. Okay, this is so cool. I am like giddy. I'm like, I'm like how do I, I, I'm my, I know my mind is going crazy. I have just so many entrepreneurs watching this right now, people yeah. starting companies, people yeah. that are established. So do you actually take people through like the how to do yep. that? Yeah, uh -huh. and there's a couple of quick examples. We talked about Tom's shoes. So yeah. for every pair of shoes they sold, they gave a pair away. A lot of people say, Cole, I don't, in my economic model, I don't have the margins to do something like that. And right. that makes sense, you know, for, for an existing business. Tom's was founded that way. And his shoes that were basically slippers when they were started had to be a few dollars to manufacture. Yeah. So it was really simple. I'm just going to ballpark this. Let's just say that Tom's or Blake, the founder, knew that his shoes needed retail for, let's call it $40 yeah. for them to recoup their costs back, cover their overhead and be profitable. He would then sell them for $45 because that second pair that he was giving away, he needed to cover that cost as well. And they were only a few dollars. Right. So there are some models, business models, where you can do exactly what Tom's did and, and give some products away. There's another company, Stella Artois. I don't know if you've ever drank their beer or oh, their ciders. Yeah. Uh, they're a for-purpose business. And one of the things that they did was they created a brand new product for the marketplace that they intentionally designed to give all the profits away. So they, of course, are going to recoup their costs. They're not right. trying to take a loss. But they made this chalice, which is a fancy word for a glass cup that's branded Stella for you to pour your Stella and drink wow. in. I think they sell for like 25 bucks. And for every cup you buy chalice, clean water through uh, water.org is given to a, a recipient in a third world country for five years. Yeah. So I spent about $2,000 on stocking stuffers and every friend and family member I knew got these Stella Artois mugs or whatever, you know, big glass mugs. Um, because I knew that I was giving all these people clean water simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened to Stella in that particular example is they didn't make any extra money from those glasses because they gave all of the profit away. Okay. But it causes people like me to once again become an evangelist for their company and to talk about them. And I almost exclusively drink Stella now, unless it's Mexican beer. I love yeah. my Coronas, my Dos Equis, <laughs> yeah. and my Modelos. But, yeah. but if I'm drinking beer, it's almost always a Stella now because I know that they are going to not just be profitable, mm -hmm. but they're going to give back in some capacity. And so, um, and then the other one is just simply taking margin where you align yourself with a charity that you believe in and trust, which is sadly, uh, due diligence needs to be done. There are a nice. lot of nonprofits out there that don't do what they say they do, or at least not to a fraction of what they say they're doing. So if you've done some research and you can believe and trust in a person's nonprofit organization, then you can just peel a piece of margin off to give to them as well if you can afford to do so. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a handful of different approaches to how people can, again, not just make a bunch of money and write a check to charity, but as their business is operating, give back. As Stella is operating and those chalices are selling, um, it's inevitably creating more revenue 
that is overall important for the business, but it's creating more revenue and their other product lines as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes It's almost like a marketing hook. Yeah. Because they're so unique and because now so many people have aligned with them. I mean, uh, Matt, Matt Damon and all these other people are speaking about Stella Artois because mm -hmm. they're huge fans of water.org and just like, yeah, it's without making it a gimmick because the heart really matters to me as far as who the entrepreneur is. So without making the for purpose movement a gimmick, because it really should be something that you want to do and not just mm -hmm. a way to grab market share. But the ancillary benefit of doing this is you actually do get more market share and you yeah. actually do make more money. Totally. My businesses by being for purpose are way more popular than they otherwise would be. And I get to earn more revenue by giving back. So, so cool. it's it's like a cycle that's- It's a beautiful cycle. Yeah, it's mutually beneficial. Yeah. What would you say to somebody? And I don't think this way, but I know certain people do that are like, you shouldn't like build a business and try to give back to get people to buy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Don't show that you're, you know, in Africa building a school. Like I sure. had someone DM me one time when I went to Uganda and they're like, why do you have to show this? And yeah. I'm like, because I'm leaving my nice house and I'm going to do something that actually matters. And I totally. want to show and inspire people to do that. But I know some people think differently. So. Well, so I grew up in a faith-based community. I'm a Christian. And you're taught to give with the right hand without the left hand knowing the whole deal. And so probably the majority of the feedback that I've gotten that sounds identical to that, Cole, why are you telling businesses to give back publicly? What Aren't we supposed to do this privately? That comes largely from a misinterpretation of what it is that I'm even doing. Yeah. And so to be clear, me personally, what I do and the generosity that my wife and I show the world is between me, her, and God. When When we are sponsoring people and yeah i don't i don't even want to talk about it but when we're doing what she and i do right. personally with our money that is private and it is yeah. kept just for us my businesses before they pay me very publicly give back in a cool and, and creative way um one, another example of what we do is we have uh, i lived in mexico as a missionary once and i built houses for homeless families while i was down there i'm also in america a real estate investor where we're flipping houses and so for every house we flip, we give a house away, just like Tom's shoes, right? So right? Yeah, how cool is that? So flip a house in America, give a house away in Mexico. Now, this is not a house like an American house. Right. It's a 16 by 20 foot, yeah. um, you know, prefab little homes. But it's, it's, a, it's another way that we're giving back. And so, you know, there are always going to be naysayers in everything that you do. Right. If, if I go buy a new car, I'm showing off and I'm, I'm you know, there's haters no matter, no matter Whatever. what you put on the internet. Yeah. Hate whether it's hate. whether it's yeah. consumerism and I buy a new car or whether it's philanthropy and I'm at my orphanage. Someone's got something to say about right. it. But, but for people who are raised in the same value system I was raised in that are taught to give privately, uh, this is totally different. This isn't you and your money. Your business as it operates is giving back. And after it's given back, it pays you what it pays you. And then what you do with your money should remain private. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, for, for the person that gave you feedback for going to Africa, I would just say that this is your life and that yeah. you are displaying it to inspire people to live boldly and powerfully. That's right. And if they don't like it, there are other Instagram feeds to follow or Bye. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. See you later. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important, even as kind of a caveat to what I just got done saying, even in our personal generosity, to, to not necessarily boast about it and be arrogant about right. it, but to encourage other people to, to be generous and to give back. Straight up. I mean, when I went there and any work I've ever done, like it fulfills me yeah. like no other. 
it, I mean, I can only lay on a beach for a day or two and then I'm like, okay, I'm bored. I need to go do something. Yeah. It's that fulfillment factor. And I truly feel like, and when I started my business at, at 23, living in a small town in Minnesota, you know, when I only had a mattress on the floor, like nothing, you know, right. hard knocks, starting out in entrepreneurship, someone said, to, someone said to me, like, if you can't be grateful for your pillow, then why on earth is God going to give you more? And mm. just start like having that mindset of like, I what do, what do I have? Be grateful for that. But then also, what can I give away? And I feel like that's just ultimate fulfillment. Totally. Like it absolutely is. I tell that to people who come and visit my orphanage in Mexico that, hey, we're, we're here for the kids, but you're probably going to get the greatest reward. So true. That, that you're here and you're going to get dirty and you're going to yes. play soccer in a dirt field and the girls are going to paint the boys nails and you know it's it's going to be hard work but at the end of the day as much as you love on the kids they will restore your heart in a way that nothing else can right tony robbins says the secret to living is giving mm. and it's not really a secret anybody who's ever done a kind gesture like you know seen a homeless person and given them money you don't feel worse because right. of that and that's my whole phrase make money matter People say money can't buy happiness. I say, you're crazy. You're just shopping in the wrong place. <laughs> you can buy temporary happiness at a Mercedes-Benz dealership. That's I mean, right. I'm a car guy. And so yeah, I love totally. cars, but then they all get old. Right. So I think, you know, why people have coined the phrase money can't buy happiness is they see people with money who aren't happy. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of very wealthy people who are miserable. Right. But they're just spending their money in ways that don't create true fulfillment. Right. No monetary gain is going to fulfill you in a way that feeding a starving child will. Mm. And so, you know, if there's one takeaway from what we've talked about so far, just try the philanthropy thing out a little bit. Try being generous. Try giving back to someone it's who needs so it. It's so true. And, and see what it does to your heart and to your yeah. soul. When I really got involved with giving back, I hit a rock bottom. I became a seven-figure earner when I was 26 and mm -hmm. had the Bentley and the things. And I had a personal like rock bottom. And that's when I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to leave and just go to Africa. Right. And it restored me. Like it just changed me. And then I'm like. I had a similar season. Mine was Mexico. Okay. We got to hear about that. Yeah. that. That's really though, Cole, when I came home and I was like, game on. I want to make 10x money so yeah. I can give more away. It just totally changed me from the inside out. It's so important. That's cool. That was your experience. Because some people will go to a, a third world country and come home with guilt and yeah. start shedding wealth. Right. And, and they'll be like, I don't deserve this. I just saw. But to want to lean into your ability to make money, because I believe God gives everyone talents. And as a young man growing up, I thought that you either were a pastor, uh, a worship leader, a missionary, or you weren't doing what God called you to do, basically. Right? right. And what I've found is that sometimes God calls us to be entrepreneurs and puts us into the missions field called the business, you know, the world of business, free commerce, and gives us talents and skill sets that allow us to be in incredibly wealthy or, or successful for a reason. Yeah. Um, and it's what we do with it, with our wealth and our resources that we'll have to have a conversation with God in the future on. Mm -hmm. um, but but truly for you to go to Africa and have that experience that you wanted to come home and, and lean into your, your success and your skill sets to make even more money is a special thing. Mm -hmm. And I encourage you and all of your listeners to do the exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about Mexico. Yeah. Like how did that all happen? So it started years prior, uh, I was actually a firefighter. God put it on my heart to want to help people. And so as I was evaluating what career field I wanted to go into where I would get paid to help people, I thought about joining the military. I thought about being a doctor. I was just afraid of going to 300 years of school. I thought about being a police officer. 
Uh, and what ended up resonating the most with me is being a firefighter. If I can save lives, play with fire and get paid for it, I'm in, right? <laughs> Sweet. So did the firefighter thing right out of high school, uh, got hired by the department. I was living my dream, had my whole life figured out. I'd be retired by 50. Like, you know, I had it all figured out. Yeah. At 21 years old, I got in a really bad car accident with my two best friends where I actually got ejected out of the car when we were going about 80. We were leaving from Southern California, going out to Vegas. And uh, we got super hurt and to the point where they actually had to shut the freeway down and land a helicopter and air flight me and my buddy Steve to a trauma center because we were not doing well. We wouldn't have survived in an ambulance. Um, and then the third friend, Matt, um, he didn't get ejected. He got pretty banged up. He got rushed to a hospital in an ambulance. Um, but as a result of that accident, firefighting was out. I, I had to learn how to walk again. I was in a wheelchair for a while. I was blind in one eye for a while, which praise God, I've had a 100% recovery. Wow. But um, I actually had to move back into mom and dad's house as a 21 year old because immediately following the accident, I was so banged up, I couldn't even care for myself. Like I had to have friends come over and carry me to the toilet and I was completely incapacitated. And so in that season of firefighting being out, uh, I had to pick a new career. A lot of people said, go back to school, get a degree, get a job. But, mm -hmm. you know, all respect to people who go to corporate America and go get degrees or multiple degrees. That just wasn't what I was called to. Right. So I started trying to figure out what else to do. And in my limited sphere of influence as a 21 year old with no business experience yet, I was just talking to really my parents, friends and neighbors. And and I started asking the wealthiest people I had access to what they did. Uh -huh. And the only common thing I could find was real estate. They, they all did different careers. Some of them did real estate. Uh, and made their money in real estate, but other people might have been doctors, but they were sticking all their money in real estate, mm -hmm. right? And so, so there was that common theme. So I decided from my wheelchair that I didn't know how well I would heal. I didn't know even in corporate America who would hire a guy in a wheelchair, which again, I walk fine. I know I'm sitting now, but my yeah. legs work. And, uh, and so I decided, you know what? I need to learn how to make money by myself, completely on my own, because I don't know what someone's gonna be willing to pay me if right. I have any of these disabilities going forward. And so that's what created me being the entrepreneur officially at 21 years old, starting my first business, opening an LLC, and I started flipping houses. And, and, and that's what I did first. Um, 2005 was when I got started. 2008 came and the recession of 2008 yes. destroyed me. I didn't know what I was doing. I made stupid money from 2005 to eight as a little 23 year old kid because it was easy to make money in real estate. Right. All you had to do is buy a house, count to 10 and sell it for a profit. Yeah. You didn't even need to be smart. Right. And <laughs> I was living proof of that, right? So so I, I made great money for a few quick years, was taking my buddies to Vegas and buying Escalades and being an idiot. And then it all came crashing down. And my girlfriend at the time and I broke up also. So I've got this business that's hemorrhaging. I was flipping houses. And when you're supposed to go to the title agency and collect a check, I was having to write a check because I was taking losses. So I'm hemorrhaging in my business. I'm recently single. So I said, screw it. And what do you do when you have no more income, no more girlfriend, no more responsibilities? You know, some people turn to drugs and alcohol or whatever. Yeah. I said, screw it. I'm gonna go down to Mexico and tell people about Jesus. So I just, what? yeah, so I became a missionary. Uh, yeah, true story. This is, so it's 2010, June 1st of 2010. I moved to Mexico, became a resident of Mexico and uh, joined a nonprofit called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Uh -huh. And my job was to build houses for homeless families. They taught me how to do it the first few months I was down there. And we would receive teams like churches and youth groups that would come down yep. and they would take a missions trip to build a house. Yes. I was the staff that would receive them and teach them how Whoa. to build a house in two days. And that is why once I moved back to America and got started in my fix and flip real estate business again, I decided to contribute to that nonprofit for every house we flipped, we'd give a house away because I had been a part of that organization. And so it was while living in Mexico, 
surfing every day and hanging out with friends and taking care of you know the the homeless community there by building them houses that's when i ended up starting my orphanage and that was just an accident i found this amazing couple that were trying to do it on their own they were a bit disorganized and severely underfunded uh -huh. so i took what few pennies i had left because at this point i was just living off of savings while i was a missionary uh -huh. from the good old days that you know i had very I don't know, probably $30,000 to my name, uh -huh. but living in a two bedroom, one bath apartment with three other Mexicans, four of us total, my, <laughs> my rent was like 200 bucks a month. So right. my 30 grand, I was like rich. Yeah, yeah. Right? But now taking care of 11 kids at this orphanage, my money started running out pretty quickly. And so, so I help officially launch and fund this orphanage. We become officially recognized in the state that we're in Baja, California, mm -hmm. uh, for the state to start sending us kids that, that need care and I'm running out of money quickly. And so that's when I realized I needed to come back to America and start a nonprofit, uh -huh. but just starting an actual 501c3 and asking wealthy individuals like yourselves to just give to me right. didn't feel right. Uh -huh. So that's when Tom's Shoes was blowing up. It's now 2011 and I said, that's what I'm gonna do. I've got these kids that I need to feed. I'm gonna go back to America. I'm gonna start my businesses again, but I'm gonna have my businesses fund my orphanage just like Tom's Shoes is doing. And that's how I'm going to get the money I need to take care of these kids. And that's where Make Money Matter and For Purpose was born. I was sitting in Ensenada, Mexico on this beautiful bench overlooking the ocean, playing my guitar at the end of a three-day water-only fast, just praying for direction, and uh, got the idea to restart my real estate business and others. And I have dozens of businesses now, or not dozens, but you know, I've started dozens right. of businesses, right. and all of them are for purpose uh, with the initial idea to just fund my orphanage. And then now it's turning into this whole global movement. Oh my goodness. But that was about 12 years of history all in two minutes right there for wow. you. Wow. Wow. So you, okay, this is so cool. Yeah. At first, I love that you did the three-day water fast. That's yeah. like, and then God dropped and gave you that download. So what was that like? Like, okay, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go back and start the businesses again. Like, you know, did you feel like, uh, how are you going to do it differently this time? Like, did you just do one house? Did you go all in? Did you yeah. did you go crazy? Did you like assign the the troops and do with business partners? Like, what did that even look like? I went crazy because now I had a why. And I'm wow. sure you've talked about having a why. And you I know a lot of that. your audience yeah. to probably, you know, Simon Sinek, Start With Why, great book. Uh, but when I was making money from 2005 through 2008, I just had a chip on my shoulder. Totally. I was a little ornery in high school and got into a little bit of trouble and was judged that, you know, I was going to be most likely to end up in a Tijuana jail or something, yeah. right? And uh, so I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. So making, I wasn't making millions in, in yet from 2005, 2008. Uh, my dad and I, he, he became my business partner. I was able to retire my dad from corporate America, wow. get him to quit his job and do this with me in 2005. We were probably making a million, a million and a half a year that we were then splitting. So I'm 23 making 500 grand a year. Like I was rich in my world. Totally. Um, and so that was all great. Went down to Mexico, the whole story I just told you came back to America and became a multi-multi-millionaire. And the only difference in, in the same businesses that I had already ran, and, and I'm the same coal, same level of intellect. I didn't take a magic pill. I just had a bigger why. I had a bigger reason. It wasn't just a chip on my shoulder and wanting to impress my friends and prove my teachers wrong. I now had kids that needed me. And so on days where I'd want to screw off or, or take it easy or, or on hard days, right, where I don't know about everybody else, but if I'm being honest, I quit my business probably twice a week oh, totally. for at least five minutes. Oh, feel sorry. Go in the corner, suck my thumb in the field yeah. position. And then once I'm ready to stand up again and be a man, go back to work. Um, but so what gets me back on my feet on hard days and what keeps me going when things are going really well is that bigger why. That, that now 
I mean, I have an entire organization that I completely fund. So my nonprofit, I, I and my partner, Danny, we completely pay for 100% of the operations of that nonprofit. 100% of the people that donate to it goes to our kids at our orphanage and to build the city that we were kind of talking about prior to the show. Uh, but yeah, so back to your original question, I went crazy. I told everybody in my world, my parents, my sisters, my friends, this is who I am now and this is what I'm doing. And I'm basically going to be a missionary. But instead of being in the field, raising money, I'm going to be in business funding the mission. That's right. And that was, that was the clarity that I got. And that's my big why is, is God has called me to missions. And I did the missionary thing. And someday, who knows, maybe I will do that again, right? Uh, but for now, I'm called to the mission field of business where I am running my four purpose businesses to fund all of the philanthropy that I want to do. Which is so needed, Cole. Yeah. Like you're so humble and it's like, I could just cry. Like, Thanks. thank you for being obedient. And it's yeah. actually inspiring me so much to just, you know, being in the business world, to live with faith and to live your faith out and and you're showing not only men, but also women that they can build businesses in such a different way. So I just want to yeah. acknowledge you for that. It's so Thank amazing. You. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, I love to take all the credit, but it, it started with that three-day water fast. Um, backstory, I had just been asked to join staff full-time. So I was down there as a volunteer. I worked my butt off. And so this nonprofit saw potential in me. And they said, do you want to become formally trained as a missionary? It's called DTS, Discipleship okay. Training School. Yeah. Learn how to be an actual missionary and then sign a minimum of a two-year commitment. So nine months of school, two years serving minimum. And you know some people make a lifetime out of it. And so the three-day fast was God show me what I'm supposed to do. And I thought it was going to be become a missionary, live in Mexico for the rest of your life, surf, eat tacos, and build houses for homeless families. And that would be my future. Mm -hmm. Find a wife that would be down with that life and, right. and make it happen. And I was instead called back to America and to do these four-purpose businesses. And I, I don't normally talk about wealth or income publicly because it's kind of arrogant. A lot of people do it boastfully. Right. But while we're on the topic of giving God credit, I had already shared I had never made a million dollars in my life. But 22 months after coming home from Mexico, my net worth was multi-millions. Not in my bank account, but with the real estate that I was controlling and owning yeah. and the various assets that I had invested in. Uh, my business accelerated so quickly that I was worth millions of dollars 22 months after being a, a, a Mexico, a missionary in Mexico. Sweet. And it took, you know, for the seven years previous to that, I had never built, crossed the millionaire mark. And so if you look at my income on a chart, it's a hockey stick. And the thing that changed was going to Mexico, being obedient, asking for three days to give me direction having clarity, having a lot of fear, because this was a scary road yeah. to walk down, but just going for it and it worked out. So great. Oh yeah. my gosh. And it's not easy. I don't want to like, no. I don't want to tell everybody that once you get a why and if you you know follow God's calling that it's easy, um, God's calling rarely is easy. Mm -hmm. And they're, like I said, our days I quit. Uh, but uh, I just have a big enough why that I can't quit longer than an hour or something. Right. Go for a jog and I'm ready to get back to work. Yeah, you get back. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, how did you meet your wife? You have three kids, yeah. two girls, one boy. Like, where did that? Uh, so I actually met her in high school. We weren't friends, really. We were okay. in very different social groups. All I cared about was sports and girls and popularity. And all she cared about was straight A's in college. So different worlds. But we were friends. I thought she was beautiful. And I kind of messed with her a little bit in high school. Uh, when I say mess with her, like when we would be in class together, I'd be like, hey, Sonia, yeah. what's up? And she'd be like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> uh, so that's where we met. And then, uh, you know, we graduate high school. Uh, six years passes. I'm now 24 years old. 
and I, I go into a restaurant with my best buds and um, it's a sushi restaurant that at 10 p.m. they clear out the chairs and turn it into like a nightclub. Uh -huh. They've got a bunch of that up here in yeah. LA. Oh yeah. And so we did that. We, we ate sushi, turned it into a nightclub and I go up to the bartender and this smoking hot chick says, what can I get for you? And I was like, Sonia, no way. This was now the 24 version. I haven't seen her since she was 17 years old uh -huh. and she's beautiful. And so anyway, we end up exchanging contact information, started dating a few weeks after that. And here we are 12 years later. 12 years yep. later. We've been together 12, married 10. Oh my gosh. Now you're speaking all around the place. You have multiple businesses. Like, how do you do this? Being married, like it, uh, first of all, you, you honor your wife so beautifully. You're such a great example in that Thank way. You. I've heard from other people and then I've obviously witnessed you like social media, things like that. Um, what advice could you give to people in the business world, crushing it like you? I feel like you're such a solid family man. Yeah, um, I would start by saying there's no such thing as work-life balance. So people ask, how do you stay balanced? And I tell them I'm not, uh, there, it's, it oscillates. And sometimes I go too hard into business and sometimes I go too hard into personal life. Yeah. And you know, you, as much as it would be fun to just play with my kids all day, I still got to earn a living and provide. Totally. And so what I do are called audits. My wife and I have relationship audits in our marriage. I mean, if the IRS is going to audit my taxes, then why shouldn't I be auditing the things that I care most about? Our That's government right. cares most about taxes, right? And so they audit us. And I should care most about my marriage and my relationship <clears throat> Excuse me, with my kids. So my wife and I go on audits all the time and I've developed, call it a muscle, where I'm very sensitive uh, to this topic where I'm self-evaluating a lot. Let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. I was just speaking at an event that I hosted in Vegas this last weekend and I was supposed to stay through Tuesday night. The event ended Sunday. I was supposed to stay through Tuesday because I had other business. Yeah. But by Sunday night, I had realized that I had been gone too long. Mm -hmm. uh, my girls needed me. And so I canceled Monday and Tuesday and came home on Monday to go back to be with the family. Mm -hmm. I had to pivot because I realized that it was going to be a five-day trip. Right. And I had another event the following weekend that yeah. I was going to go to in Phoenix. So my family was only going to see me Wednesday if I had stuck to my original plan. Right. And just based on circumstances and some challenges that my oldest daughter was facing, I said, they need daddy. So I canceled all my business and I went back. Mm -hmm. So back to answer your question, um, I know what my priorities are. I know that probably none of the businesses that I own right now, I'm still going to own in even 10 years. I'll have sold them and started new ones, but I'm going to still have my wife in 10 years. I'm still going to have my babies in 10 years. And so I think I just yeah. made a priority to, to realize what is, what is eternally significant and what is momentary mm -hmm. and just leaning into the eternal significant things. Uh, I think God's going to care a lot more about what type of husband and father I was than what type of businessman I was. That's right. Personally. Amen. And so, so that's it. And then I, I got to give credit where credit's due. My parents have been married for 50 years. We just celebrated their 50th wow. anniversary in September. Congrats. And so, thank you. And so I'm one of the rare people I know who have parents who are still married and obsessed with each other. My dad still smacks my mom's butt. And I'm like, dude, this is elder abuse at this age. Like, <laughs> you got to stop, bro. And so I, I had a very... Um, solid upbringing of seeing a very functional marriage. Mm. I mean, I do know people whose parents are still married, but they don't have like a great marriage right. or whatever. Like my parents have a dream marriage. That's still. what I want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I want. And, and yeah. so I, I was very lucky. I can only say lucky and blessed to have been born into that family. Mm. And so that's, you know, that's not something necessarily duplicatable to your audience, but it's just priorities. And, and then the last thing I'll say is respect. Uh, my wife and I, we disagree. We fight like anybody else does. 
But at the end of the day, uh, we have promised each other we, that we will never disrespect one another mm -hmm. and that we will keep respect as a, a center of our marriage forever. And that wow. respect word really bleeds into a lot of areas, like respect of her time and respect of making her a priority and not business and, and things like that. Mm, it's so beautiful. So well said. Does she, is she involved in the businesses at all? Yeah. She's the CEO of Thrive. So. Oh, dang. Yeah. yeah she's not just involved. She's, she's our boss. And oh, and another is, one of your she's questions. She's our boss. Another one of your questions was, how do I do it all? Um, because I have a key player in anything that I do in my real estate business. My dad, he takes point. And in my Thrive business, my wife takes point. Uh, when I started Thrive, at the end of our first 12 months, I'd lost $274,000. The next year, I lost $100,000. And the third year, I was breaking even. Mm -hmm. I decided to hire my wife. The fourth year, we made like a million something. And then the fifth year, we made like four million bucks. So, And it's just gone crazy ever since. So good. So I, I'm humble enough to admit that I know what the difference was. And so she's very left-brained. Well, not even left-brained, but she's very structured. She's, she's kind of neutral. She's also yeah. an artist. But she's very structured and very SOP. Yes. Like everything's a system and a process. See, me, I'm just crazy. And I come up with crazy ideas. And I walk into my team and I just say, hey, Andrew, hey, Sonia, hey, Titi or whoever. Here's what we're going to do. And they take that chaos and make something profitable come out the other side. But so, yeah, she's super involved. Not lately uh, because we just had our son in August. Oh, she just had a baby. Yeah. And okay. so. <laughs> so she's she's doing the mom life thing right now, but um, but we're we're in an off season for Thrive right now anyway. Yeah. But she was literally telling me last night that she's kind of got the itch again. That she's like, dude, I love our son's name's Colson. She's like, I love Colson. I love being full time mom right now, but I kind of miss running the show. And so she'll be back in action here probably. I don't know, January oh, first. Of the I year. need to interview her. Oh yeah, she's she, better than I am. She she's more interesting like the too. Ultimate, like having babies running the company. Come yeah. On. She'll be bouncing a kid on this hip, talking to an attorney That's on this ear. So cool. Yeah. You're so blessed. And, um, this gets me a little emotional, but she told me that, um, that she's living her dream mom life right now. Um, and that as a little girl growing up that she envisioned what she has now today and praise God for that because I mean, you know, I was supposed to die, right? I was well, I not supposed to die. I was supposed to live, but I almost died, you know, in that accident. And, um, in a, in a second accident that happened just two months later too, that we didn't talk about. And so, you know, I've had my near death experiences, but to have come out the other side and to be where we are in this season of life is just really cool. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So amazing. That's, that's the ultimate that like for me, like what she's living, that's my dream. Like yeah. I just cannot wait to meet her. And yeah, if you don't mind, could you elaborate on that? Like that near death accident? Yeah. So the first one was, um, with, with Steve and Matt in the car that I talked about. And, um, it was the three of us, Steve and I were both lifted in a helicopter to the hospital. Matt went in an ambulance, as I already shared. Mm -hmm. uh, what I didn't share is Steve didn't survive that accident. And so, um, that was really hard for me at 21 to lose my best friend who I'd grown up with. I'd known Steve for a long time. And, uh, the, the grief of losing him was unbearable, but the guilt of surviving without him was soul crushing. I had so much survivor's guilt. It was crazy. Yeah. And Matt also had the same survivor's guilt and he understood. So Matt and I became inseparable um, because we were leaning on each other to get through this season of life emotionally. Right. And uh, I was in a wheelchair. Matt would drive to my house every day. And I mean, he was such a good friend, Matt, that he would set an alarm at his house to be able to wake up, get in his car, drive to my house and meet me early enough in the morning that he could carry me to the toilet to go pee 
because both my parents worked. Like back when I was 21, both my parents still had jobs and I was so broken, I couldn't get myself from my bed to the toilet. So Matt would drive all the way over to carry me to the toilet. Like that's how close we got. Yes. Um, I mean, and it gets worse than that. Like I had to get picked up out of the bath too. And my boys were taking oh. care of me there. And you know, in these seasons, you got to have each other's backs. Yes, you do. Well, I got out of my wheelchair at about the two month mark and had gotten onto crutches and Matt wanted to celebrate me having more autonomy and not being stuck to a wheelchair by riding dirt bikes. And I was like, are you crazy? I can't ride a dirt bike. He's like, yes, you can. Cause you sit on a dirt bike, just like you sit in a wheelchair, your wrists work fine. Right. Let's go. So our parents agreed and we went out to a, a local desert here in Southern California. And uh, as we were riding around, Matt was right before me, I was behind him and he kind of climbed this hill and disappeared across the top. And I climbed up behind him on our dirt bikes. And when I got to the top of the hill, there was no top. It was just a huge hole, kind of like a volcano or like an anthill, like a massive anthill. What it turns out it was, was an abandoned mine shaft. Some mining company had dug out all this silver and they, once the silver was dug out, they just left a huge hole, 20 foot by 15 foot hole. Matt fell into it and I was right behind him and I fell into it. But as I was falling in, I was able to grab onto a bush about the size of a basketball and just hang by one arm, staring down in a complete black hole and was able to somehow shimmy up because my legs, I just got out of a wheelchair and hang onto the edge of a hole by my armpits until our other buddy, Scott, who was with us, saw what had happened, raced over and helped pull me out. Called 911, the fire department, the police show up. Long story short, they set up all the gear to go down the hole to go get Matt. We didn't know if he had broken legs or what. what yeah. You know, we were yelling down there and he wasn't responsive. Well, it took them six hours to get to the bottom because it was 780 feet deep. Matt fell all the way to the bottom and he didn't survive. So in a 66 day period, I was in two accidents with the two most important people to me in my life at that time. And both of them died and I didn't. This was November 14th. And as of recording this podcast, it's November 17th. So I just celebrated the 18 year anniversary of losing Matt. Um, and so I can't properly communicate how the guilt was crushing me. I couldn't look at Steve's parents. I couldn't look at Matt's parents because I felt so guilty that I was, there was the three of us, then there was the two of us, and then there was just me. Um, and, you know, that's also part of my why is I, I you know, I'll be totally transparent. Yeah. From November 14th until December 18th, I fell off uh, an ugly emotional cliff. Yeah. I was prescribed morphine pills from my car accident with, with Steve that were prescribed to me that I was supposed to take. Cause I was really, I mean, when you hit the pavement going 80 miles an hour, you lose a lot of skin. I'm yeah. wearing clothes right now, but I got some awesome scars. And so I had severe pain. So even once I left the hospital, they prescribed morphine pills to me. Well, once the pain went away, I stopped taking the pills, but I still had like 50 of these pills in a bottle in my, yeah. in my um, bathroom. Well, after losing Matt, I couldn't take it. And I wasn't suicidal. I never thought about killing myself. But what I learned is that if I took one or two morphine and drank straight tequila or straight vodka, I could fall asleep and sleep for like 18 hours. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. I would take these pills and I would pass out at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I wouldn't wake up until like 11 a.m. the next day. Like I'd sleep from like 4 p.m. to 11 a.m. And then from 11 to four, I would still take the pills and I was like not feeling anything. And I did it for an entire month from November 14th to December 18th, just popping pills and taking you know, drinking my parents' alcohol until I finally had my aha moment and realized that I was just going to throw my whole life away. And that Steve and Matt, um, they didn't get more time, but for some reason God picked that I would. Yeah. And all I'm doing with it is taking pills and drinking alcohol and probably accidentally going to overdose and kill myself. Because right. by now I'm taking five or six morphines, not one or two, right? As, as my body was getting more used to it. 
And so right there on December 18th, I'll never forget it, 2004, I lost Matt on September 10th, 2004. I lost, sorry, Steve, September 10th, 2004. Lost Matt November 14th. And then this aha moment happened December 18th. I poured the rest of the pills in the toilet, flushed it. And I just started talking out loud uh, to Steve, to Matt, and to God. And I was just like, I will not let you guys be forgotten. I don't know why I have more time and you don't, but I will always tell your story if I ever get an opportunity for the rest of my life. And I'm going to do things big enough for the three of us. And at the time I didn't know. So I was like, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to live a life that when I get to see you again, and I will, they're believers, I will see them again, that I'm going to say, you guys only got 21 years. I got hopefully 90 something years. And with the time that I had that you didn't, I made it matter. I made my life matter because I did these things for all of us. And, you know, I've got this uh, weight on my shoulders of having to live a life big enough for three people so that Steve and Matt, being my motivating factor, can get credit for it too. And so that I can say, okay, I, I saved enough lives and I, and I did enough cool things that dividing it up into thirds, we're all full in heaven now. <laughs> yes. Um, and... So that was it. That was that was the beginning of my aha moment. Started my, as I already said, my career in real estate the next year after losing Steve and Matt once I could walk again without a wheelchair and crutches. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, that's that's the backstory. That's what took me from like being a little boy firefighter to having to learn how to become a man pretty quick. Pretty quick. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. They are smiling down right now. Let me I hope tell so. you. Let me tell They're you. Probably making fun of me, probably, yeah. right? And they're... If, if they're anything the same in heaven as they were here, they're probably up there laughing at me, making fun of me right now. You're literally using like all this pain and you're turning it into so much good. And I want to acknowledge you for that. Thanks. And the, how you turned it around. Like when you were saying you talked to them, you talked to God, like, did you do therapy? Did you- oh, yeah. So, so in that moment, my, again, my worst, darkest moment of realizing that I would continue to get addicted to pills, drink alcohol until I killed myself one way or another, not necessarily suicide, but just by wasting away because of substance abuse. So in that moment, um, I flushed the pills down the toilet. I didn't drink for three solid years after that, not a sip. Um, that was my last sip of alcohol was that night. Um, now I I drink again occasionally, right. But, but I was sober for three solid years. And I ended up uh, leaning hard into my church and becoming a youth pastor intern. Okay. And what I found healed me was pouring into other people. It was the craziest thing. And this sounds cliche, but it, it is it, my story and it is real. That in January, I went to the youth pastor and I said, I can sing and play guitar. Let me lead worship for the high school and the college group. And let me help you pastor these kids. And he said, yes. And I had to sign a contract that said I wouldn't do drugs or alcohol. So that was part yeah. of the motivation. Um, but for for the next several years, I was a youth pastor, even though I wasn't I was a lay pastor. I didn't have you know, I didn't go to school and, and get my go to seminary and whatever, become an actual theologian or whatever, yeah. whatever the titles are. <laughs> um, but but I was just loving on these kids. And um, by by leaning into my church and by giving everything I had left, which wasn't a lot. I just got healing. Um, and that's what completely changed my life was, was the kids that I was ministering to. And then four years after that moved to Mexico. Wow. What a story. What a story. You know, we always say, and I always say like, give more, put yourself out there, do it for somebody else. Cole, you are a living example of, of being a servant to other people and God will bless you for that. And he's doing that. 
And I want to thank you for your humility and your honesty, your vulnerability of sharing all this. You're such an example. You're such an example as first as a man of God, you know, as a husband, as a father, as a business owner, and then as someone in the marketplace who's making such a difference. And that's why I wanted you on this show. I'm like the world needs to know who Cole Hatter is. Yeah. For real. Well, because you're doing it. And I want to thank you and acknowledge you for that. Is there any last closing remarks you'd want to give a tip for somebody that maybe, maybe, you know what, the economy is a little different right now. Maybe they're not living their life bold like you with intention. What would you say? Yeah, I would just say, you know, for anyone listening to the show, like a takeaway is, and it's, it sounds a bit cliche, but let me explain is don't play small. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing what I did today is I realized if I had died at 21, all that I had accumulated in my 21 years was I got okay grades in school and I was a pretty good athlete. Yeah. And so all my friends that would have shown up to my funeral would have just stood around and said, Cole was great at football and man, he was a good friend and had my back. But that I had done nothing of, of actual significance that really matters and that I hadn't played big at all. And so you know, you hear it a thousand times, but it never really resonates. So maybe this off the back of my story will resonate that you never know how much time you have. Every day is precious. And in business, but in your personal life, you should play all out. I'm so fulfilled in my personal life right now with my wife, my children, and my inner, my, you know, my inner circle, my friends. I'm so fulfilled right now with my career. Um, of course, I would change a lot, right? Like nobody has a perfect life, right. but like I am so genuinely happy right now. And it's all because of a decision I made. It was a choice. Yeah. It wasn't lucky circumstances. I didn't inherit something. I didn't hit the lotto. I made a couple of different key decisions in my life that have put me where I am. And so I think everybody's like one idea or one relationship or one decision away from having their dream life too. And it's not instant. You don't make a decision on Monday and your dream life's on Tuesday. <laughs> you make a decision to pursue it. And so the aha takeaway would be you don't know how much time you have, so why not make that decision today to start making your life matter and to live as bigly and as, if that's a word, bigly, as yeah. big and as boldly yeah. as you possibly can now, um, because why wait? You know, I think a lot of us have tomorrow syndrome. Like, oh, I want to live big, but let, totally. me, let me catch a Kardashian rerun. I'll start that tomorrow. It's like, no, 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 no. Today. Today. I think your it factor is. My it factor, I would say... My it factor is being able to find the right people in the right room that are quality human beings that are the exact type of people that I want to do life or do business with. I think I have a great talent of finding amazing humans like yourself and your husband, of, of just seeing people for who they are and not who they're posturing to be. Yeah. And, and making some really lifelong, genuine relationships and friendships with people. I'd say that's my it factor. Let's end on that today. Everyone follow Cole Hatter, check him out. And thank you so much for being here. You're yeah, amazing. Pleasure.